Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Our next trip out will be to Columbia, South Carolina. That's the Grace Baptist Church. We'll go there on December the 13th, and if you're in that listening area, love to have you come study Bible prophecy with us. Grace Baptist Church, Columbia, South Carolina, on Sunday, December the 13th. Well, if you give me 90 minutes, I'm going to give you my broadcast partners around the world, and we're going to be talking about a number of issues that will be of key importance if you are a student of Bible prophecy. For example, Steve Herzig, who is the National Director of Friends of Israel, will come to talk to us and explain the Jewish Holy Day of Hanukkah. And then we're going to be talking with Dr. Don DeYoung. What about war in outer space? There is the possibility, a lot of exploration going on in outer space, but with the nations of the world putting together forces in the space area, that could possibly lead to war. These are issues we'll discuss and have a great bit of information about here on Prophecy Today Weekend. First of all, we're going to our broadcast partner who covers geopolitical activities for us. He is Ken Timmerman. And Ken, I want to ask you immediately about the item that we discussed last week. We talked about Trump possibly doing a preemptive strike on Iran before the Biden presidency. We said last week that it would be on the table. He had not made a decision, would partner with Israel. What do you know about that possible preemptive strike? Well, Jimmy, at this point, we're all just reading the tea leaves and reading reports of leaks from the White House. I'm very suspicious of those leaks from the White House. I don't think most of these left-wing reporters really have sources at the White House, or if they do, they're from deep state officials who despise the president and despise what he has been trying to do for the past four years. So I would say right now the jury is out. Uh, This president did not take office to start new overseas wars. He has refused to strike uh, Iran's nuclear facilities or its Air Force facilities in the past. He has given approval for the targeted killing of Qasem Soleimani, a very, very different type of attack. Remember that Qasem Soleimani was not killed in Iran. He was killed in Baghdad uh, when he was coming to order an attack on the U.S. embassy in Baghdad. That's a very different type of strike. That is the type of strike that Donald Trump could order. I really don't see him, knowing his character, uh, seeing his actions over the past four years, approving a military strike against Iranian nuclear facilities, he could go along with some Israeli strike of that nature. But again, look at what the Israelis are reported to have done, and that is to have eliminated the head of Iran's nuclear weapons program. That's very different from a hard military strike using aircraft, for example, or missiles against a ground facility or a buried facility. I think we would see eventually more of the same, but an actual military strike against nuclear weapons facilities, I don't think we're going to see unless there is hard evidence that the Iranians are doing the unthinkable, and that is mating a warhead to a missile. You know, I heard another report coming out of Washington, Ken. want to see what your thoughts are. It's saying that 
Trump has given up on his Iranian policy. He's told his Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, to do whatever he wanted to do, but don't start World War III. What are your thoughts about this report? Well, again, that's based on unnamed sources in the White House, so I tend to think this is one of those we-hate-Trump reports. Look, this president has shown all during his presidency he can do five or six things at once. (laughs) So this is not somebody who just says, okay, I'm checking out now on foreign policy because I'm worried about the re-election and want to take care of that, and I don't have time or bandwidth, mental bandwidth, to deal with it. That's not Donald Trump. He's shown that pretty consistently over four years. This said... You know, as I just said earlier, he does not want to start wars. This is not why he was elected president. He does not see that as his mission. And, in fact, he has repeatedly railed against the deep state and against neocons, as well as Democrats, who want to go around rattling America's sabers. Uh, That is not Donald Trump's M.O., and I don't see him doing that in the final days of his administration, if that indeed is the case. And meanwhile, in Iran, the leadership there want the nuclear deal put back in place, and seemingly so does Joe Biden. Your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. They are on the same page on this one. Biden's person he is designated as his Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, uh, was one of the architects of the Iran deal. Biden himself was a strong supporter of it. And the Iranians just love the idea of returning to a regime where the United States lifts all economic sanctions, allows them to sell oil around the world, lifts the sanctions on the Revolutionary Guards and the Quds Force. Unbelievable, but that's what Biden would do if he returns to the Iran deal, and basically allows them a clear path to continue to expand their nuclear weapons production capabilities. That's what this is all about, their nuclear weapons production capabilities so they would be able to break out of the nuclear deal at will at a future date. Seems that Iran is having some type of a dilemma, a nuclear dilemma, whether to ramp up their production of a nuclear weapon of mass destruction or wait for Joe Biden to come into office. But now let's focus just a moment. You mentioned earlier about the assassination of the nuclear scientists, the death there in Iran. What comes next? Is there going to be retaliation, or you think they're just going to sit back and cool it for a bit because they could really get in trouble if they tried to retaliate? Well, the Iranians are claiming that Israel did this, possibly with the help of a uh, resistance group inside Iran. You know, for them to attack Israel, I think, would be a very dangerous thing. Uh, They could always order their Hezbollah proxies in Lebanon to launch missile strikes against Israel, and they have specifically said they want to target the port of Haifa. And Haifa is, of course, Israel's industrial center. It's where they have their oil refinery. I was there in 2006 on the front lines with that war with Hezbollah up in the north, and uh, we were hitting Haifa all the time by Hezbollah. And remember, they they forced the evacuation of basically two-thirds of everybody who was up in the north to leave the area. So they can do things like that. I just don't see it happening. I don't see Iran provoking a war with Israel over the murder of a single individual who the Iranians uh, believe is replaceable anyway. I know, Kim, that you've had a relationship with some of the opposition in Iran. It's uh, suspected that uh, they were alongside Israel in the killing of the Iranian nuclear scientists. Do you know anything about that? Well, again, that's an allegation that has come 
from Iran, from senior officials in the uh, Pasteran and the, in the uh, Revolutionary Guards Corps. They like to blame things on the Mujahideen, but, you know, it's unclear. I haven't seen that the MEK has taken responsibility for this. It would get them in trouble with the Trump administration if they did, because it is a terrorist act. They would be acknowledging that they engaged in a terrorist act inside of Iran. So this looks more like the Israeli MO than it does the MEK. Ken, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has been in the Middle East about a week ago. He is also in the European Union. He went to the last meeting of NATO that he will be able to attend in that position. But at that same meeting, NATO brought to the attention of all the member states that they must consider Chinese military power. It is going to be stronger than everybody's been thinking about, and especially what the German foreign minister had to say. Give us an update. Well, this was pretty interesting to finally hear a European official, and in this case, the German foreign minister, not just anybody, but the foreign minister of the strongest economy in Europe to speak out about communist China and China's domination of Asia, uh, the threat that they pose to Europe's allies in Australia, Japan, New Zealand, South Korea. I thought this was pretty significant, and it's something that the U.S. administration has been talking about for a number of years. Remember, here's the difference, basically, between Democrats and Republicans now in the United States. Democrats like to uh, blame everything on Russia. They've been doing that for four years against President Trump claiming he is Putin's puppet and that Russia is expanding, that they're the real threat. But China's okay. And it turns out, of course, they say China's okay because China has been buying them off with investment deals to themselves directly, in the case of some of Biden's close aides, or uh, investment deals to family members, as they did with Hunter Biden, offering him $30 million. So the Democrat Party has consistently been weak on China, and they've been weak on China for 25 years. I've been reporting on it for 25 years. The Republicans now, uh, especially with Pompeo and with the director of national intelligence, John Radcliffe, a former congressman, but somebody who is very well respected uh, for his grasp of the intelligence community, they have been warning about the China threat, the rise of the Chinese Navy. Uh, Radcliffe gave a recent briefing to Congress, but also to former Vice President Joe Biden uh, about China's military capabilities, and he warned that, look, China already has more surface warships than the United States. They've been building amphibious landing craft at an alarming rate, and amphibious landing craft are not peaceful defensive ships. They are used to land an amphibious landing group, like the Marines, on foreign shores, and China has long, long warned that it would invade Taiwan at some point to make them rejoin China. So uh, I think that the fact that NATO is finally looking at China is significant, and also this fact that the DNI, John Radcliffe, has warned the the former vice president of the China threat is significant. I doubt Biden's going to listen to it, but I think it's significant nevertheless. And according to Bible prophecy, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, the world had better wake up to the power of China. Red China, we should say. Very important report. Thank you so much. Good report as always, Ken. We'll talk again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. It's a pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan has his Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As I mentioned, I'm here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So glad you could join us. Our broadcast partners standing by around the world to give us key reports on key regions of this world as it relates to the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. One of those key regions would have to be the Middle East. And the man who covers that with his Middle East news update is David Dolan, longtime journalist in that region of the world. David, let me start with this as we talk to you about what's going on in the Middle East, and in particular, a focus on the state of Israel. The Iranian newspaper is urging a strike on Haifa, as a response to the killing of the Iranian nuclear scientist. What can you tell us about that? Well, Jimmy, an attack on Haifa or somewhere else in the north is certainly one of the possibilities that the Israelis are looking at right now. Of course, the Moshin Fakhrizadeh was Iran's top nuclear scientist, especially connected to the military side of their nuclear program, in other words, developing a nuclear bomb as opposed to a nuclear energy killed the day after Thanksgiving east of Tehran, and uh, Israel's being blamed by Iran's top leaders. However, Jimmy, they're thinking that the response, if there is one, and Iran has vowed some sort of response, claiming they found Israeli weaponry on the scene and other evidence of Israel's connection to this, the response that the Israelis are most worried about is a terror attack or terror attacks upon Israelis. They think that's more likely than a missile attack or something like that because 
Iran their thought uh, to be not wanting to provoke incoming President Biden if indeed he becomes president, it seems likely, because he is talking about rejoining the nuclear deal, which they very much want to see, and they want to see sanctions uh, lowered against them or taken away. So a major military strike on an Israeli city would obviously uh, put a dent in that. But an attack, terror attacks, is another thing. And they've been particular warned on Thursday, the Israeli uh, security officials warned Israelis who were traveling in the Gulf area, and that's become the new hot place to go, Abu Dhabi and Dubai and the other cities and, and areas down on the Gulf have become a real center. There's over a thousand Israeli tourists there right now, Jimmy, and there's over a hundred flights planned over the next week taking more Israelis there. This is despite the coronavirus still uh, going on in the region. And uh, the government pointed out that there are known Hezbollah terror cells operating in Qatar, uh, right next to Bahrain and the other places, that there's also known terror cells in northern Africa where some Israelis travel in Europe around the Mediterranean, really all over the world, but they're thinking more locally. So that's what they're uh, girding for more than a military strike, but a military strike is certainly a possibility. Meanwhile, in Washington, D.C., President Trump still has on the table a possibility of a preemptive strike on Iran before Biden, if he does, becomes president. Is Israel on board with that possible operation, David? Well, Jimmy, if indeed Israel was involved in the uh, Fakhrizadeh killing, which is probably the case, that would signal, I would think, that uh, there had been some previous coordination with Washington and that the White House had at least given a quiet green light to that operation going forward, indicating that they may be planning other things, because obviously the Iranian response could be great. And, of course, a year ago when the head of the Revolutionary Guards was killed in Iraq by American uh, forces, Iran vowed a major response, and it was thought it was only because they accidentally shot down a European commercial jet and got in trouble with Europe that they didn't go forward at that time with some sort of a military strike, a greater strike. They did hit back at some U.S. bases, as you'll remember, uh, sent some rockets there, but with a greater response. President uh, Trump, if indeed he realizes or, you know, sees that he is going out of office, well, this might be his only chance to really prevent that return of the nuclear uh, program full swing. Well, it is ongoing very, very much, and they are in great violation of the agreement as we talk. So that's already happened. But that talk continues, Jimmy, that the White House is planning something, and that would be in coordination with Israel undoubtedly. So We'll just have to wait and see. In the Middle East, we see that the Jordanian king, King Abdullah, had a meeting with the president of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas. They met, and they are hoping that Biden will revive the peace process, but they also talked about their custodial responsibilities on the Temple Mount. What can you tell us about this story? Well, the rumors continue to circulate that when uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu held a secret but not-so-secret meeting with Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia in a Saudi town, that's never been confirmed that that meeting took place, by the way, but everybody thinks it did, that during that time Netanyahu offered Saudi Arabia control over the Temple Mount. And, of course, that would mean that uh, Jordan would no longer have that role. And as I mentioned a week or two ago when we were speaking, the Jordanians and the Saudis are close allies. 
So it's not as if they were offering it to Turkey. Turkey wants that control. There's no way that the Israelis would allow that with the, the Turkish leaders being so hostile. But again, Saudi Arabia has become really quite a close, if quiet, ally of Israel. And, uh, you know, they control the holy sites in Mecca and Medina, so this would be just going along the same lines. The Jordanians apparently are protesting this, but, Jimmy, I think in the end they would accept it if it did happen. There are some in Israel, though, warning that, you know, the Saudi government could be overthrown, and uh, it's definitely a target of Iran, and that if it ever did fall to hostile anti-Israel forces, then you'd have this conundrum of them having a piece of ground right in the center of Jerusalem. So we'll see if it goes anywhere, but there is continuing talk about it all over the place, really. And what about the possibility of, if indeed it does happen, President Biden reviving the peace process? Is that a possibility for Biden if he comes into the presidency? Well, he's basically vowed to do just that. And his vice president, Kamala Harris, has said it even more strongly, that they would return to negotiations, they would restore funding, and do some other things. Now, the, the PLO, the Palestinians, really want the funding more than the talks. Uh, talks have been going on for how many decades now and have gone nowhere, but they do want better relations with the White House. Uh, this would mean a tilting away from the Gulf states, too, and the policies that President Trump has adopted and back towards Iran and Turkey and these other ones. And so it's not something Israel's looking forward to or hoping. And as I've said before, they very much want peace with the Palestinians, but it has to be direct negotiations and not diktats beforehand. And the Palestinians continue to insist before they sit down that Israel has to agree to give everything back. And that's what uh, the Syrians have said, too. First, you have to agree to give the Golan back, and then we'll sit and talk about it. Well, that's a non-starter for Israel. So even if Biden comes in, I don't think he's going to get very far on that part. But he will restore somewhat to relations with the Palestinian Authority, it seems. Here in America, there's a big controversy surrounding the last presidential election and, indeed, what uh, will be the end result of that. Now, we'll just have to wait to see how that all plays out. But in Israel, there's the talk again that there will be another election, and seemingly very soon now, this would be the fourth election in two years. What can you give us on that? Yes, Jimmy, it looks like it's definitely on. There were developments this week. Basically, the blue and white uh, party, Benny Gantz party, said we can't uh, sit in this coalition anymore. It's not working, and uh, we're going to have to go to elections. Now, that's rather remarkable because opinion polls show that he would only come out with 10 seats in new elections. That's way down from what his joint list got with the Yeshatid party, Yair Lapid's party, that's projected to get 17 seats. But the right, Jimmy, is projected by several polls this week to get at least 65, maybe up to 68 seats, so a clear majority this time. The right-wing bloc would get in the Knesset if the polls are right, and that's without Avigdor Lieberman's uh, Israel Beitenu party that uh, pulled out of the coalition two years ago that set this whole thing off. So 
Netanyahu's very eager to go to elections if he's going to strengthen his hand that much, meaning he can form a solid right-wing government again that won't be subject to all these machinations all the time. That seems to be what the Israeli public has concluded is the best way to go, too. They're tired of the instability, and again, having an election in the midst of the coronavirus, which is still going on in Israel and really hitting the Gaza Strip hard in the past couple of weeks. The head of Hamas is now sick. They really don't want to go to elections, but this would seal the deal and it would hopefully then hold a new government for some time. We'll stay on top of that story with David Dolan. He's the man who covers the Middle East. He's done it for over three decades, and he's knowledgeable of what's going on, helps us to understand better and to see how it all fits into the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. David, thank you so very much. Great report. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll bring to my broadcast table Steve Herzig. He's the National Director of Friends of Israel. We're going to focus on the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're going to bring to this microphone an annual guest, as a broadcast partner, we're talking about Steve Herzig. Steve is the national director of Friends of Israel. He has a couple of books out, Volume 1 and Volume 2 of Jewish Culture and Customs. Either one of them are available at my website, prophecytoday.com, at the Prophecy Bookstore, or you can go to Steve's website, foi.org, that's the location where they have a bookstore as well, and you can purchase it. We'd love for you to get your copy of either one or both of these great information in your study of the Word of God, books by Steve Herzig, Jewish Culture and Customs. Well, Steve, thank you for coming back to be with us on your annual visit. That's not quite true. It's not an annual visit because we have you on many of the Jewish holy days as well. And actually, Hanukkah is not one of those seven feasts of Leviticus 23, but it's a very important holy day, is it not? Well, thanks, Jimmy, for inviting me, and I'm always delighted to be on the program. And you're correct. Uh, Hanukkah is considered a minor feast, 
But I would argue in North America, it's a major feast because the most celebrated two feasts today by Jewish people is number one is Passover and number two is Hanukkah. And we know that Hanukkah will be upcoming uh, this next week, December the 10th through the 18th, an eight-day holy day for the Jewish people. Now, I know that we have this conversation on an annual basis about Hanukkah, but I think it's important to remind our listeners on a yearly basis about this very important, as you said, holy day. Why don't we start that way, Steve? Would you give us a, a brief, we, we could go forever probably on this story, but give us a brief story of what Antiochus Epiphanes did and what brought about, ultimately, there in the temple, the abomination of desolation and thus Hanukkah. I'd be happy to, Jimmy. Yes, Antiochus Epiphanes, which, by the way, means God manifest, the people that he ruled over called him Epimenes, which is a madman. So he wanted to be regarded as God manifest, but the people called him madman. And the reason they did is he was actually going to attack Egypt, and he came through the land of Israel. And when Rome frustrated his ambition in Egypt, when he went back north through the land of Israel, he decided that he would continue Alexander's desire to Hellenize all of the area. And so when he got to Jerusalem, he outlawed circumcision, celebration of the feast days, Shabbat, worshiping on Shabbat. He stopped the sacrifices. He forbid any scrolls or Torahs. And the idea was to Hellenize all of the Jewish people, of which that was a, that was a huge problem. He desecrated the temple and actually sacrificed a pig on the altar and uh, then sent his soldiers throughout the uh, area to make sure that the leaders in the local areas all Hellenized. One of the places that his soldiers went to was located northeast of Jerusalem called Modin. And there was a family there called the Maccabee family. And Mattathias was the father. Judah Maccabee was the chief son who took over after his father died. But Mattathias refused to compromise and only would believe in the one true God. So when the soldiers arrived, they wanted the leader to kill a pig and eat it in front of all the people so that they would follow suit. Instead, what took place is um, Mattathias and his sons overtook those garrison of soldiers, killed them, and then fled to the mountains and began what would be a guerrilla warfare. And over a three-year period between 168 B.C.E., and we say, in, uh, Jewish people say B.C.E., Jimmy, instead of B.C., because Jewish people don't like to say uh, Jesus Christ, so they say before the Common Era. But in 165 B.C., they arrived at the temple. It had been totally polluted. It was in awful shape. But they rededicated the temple. They cleaned it. They cleansed it. And after defeating Antiochus's army and reestablishing the temple, the story, at least, it's really been unproven, but certainly has uh, taken shape in Judaism, is that the oil for the menorah, the seven-branched menorah, uh, there was no kosher oil. And so the story is that they found a small cruise of oil sealed with the high priestly seal, and that 24-hour cruise of oil served for eight days, enough time 
to have more kosher oil to keep the menorah burning all the time. And so to this day, Jewish people have a Hanukkah. So that's not a seven-branch menorah. It's a nine-branch menorah. And eight of those nine branches signify the eight days of Hanukkah. And interestingly enough, the ninth candle, which usually is outstanding, that is, it stands aside or above the other eight, that one's called the servant candle or the shamus candle. And that's the candle that lights all the other candles. And it's a very important part of Hanukkah. Uh, and, Jimmy, you, you know very well that in John chapter 10, the only place that Hanukkah, or in this case the Feast of Dedication, is mentioned, couldn't be mentioned in the Old Testament because it's an intertestamental holiday, we know that Jesus himself celebrated Hanukkah. Uh, and it tells us so in John chapter 10. It says he was at Jerusalem, the Feast of Dedication, and it was winter. And on the 25th of Kislev, which for us, as you said, is this year it is uh, December 10th, but it's usually at the end of November or sometime in December, but it is the 25th of the Hebrew month of Kislev. They celebrate the first day of Hanukkah, and it runs eight days. It's a wonderful time. Uh, Jewish people eat anything made with oil, potato latkes, uh, which are wonderful, donuts, all kinds of things related to oil. As a reminder of this day, there's a lot of family get-togethers, synagogues have uh, carnivals. It's the time that we celebrate victory, and that's extremely important. Jimmy, you, you're a uh, prophecy expert, and I think it's safe to say that without Hanukkah, as we think prophetically in the context, without Hanukkah, there would be no Jesus. Don't you find that interesting? I find that very, very interesting. And Steve, you related, rehearsed that story for us so well. By the way, just let me give our listeners some text to look up what you've been talking about. John chapter 10, verse 22 is the location where Jesus would celebrate the Feast of Dedication or the Feast of Lights. Also, over in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 11, you look at Daniel 11, go there from verses 21 to 35, you can see 360 years before the fact, the prophet Daniel pre-wrote history and wrote down exactly what Antiochus Epiphanes would do and also what the Maccabees would do. Now, you talked about that middle candle and of the nine candles that the Jewish people used to celebrate the eight days of Hanukkah. You mentioned some of the food. That sounds like a great feast day or holy day for me. Any type of food operation is very good for any time of celebration. Uh, but in addition to that, they get together each night and deal with those candles, do they not? They do, Jimmy, each night. And it's such a, as much of Judaism is, such a family time. For those of your listeners who have Christmas traditions and a Tizeron family, just ramp that up for eight days. That means that each of the evenings for eight days, the family comes together. It's a wonderful time for the children. They light the candles one at a time. So on the first night, the Shamus candle will light the first candle. So there's always one more candle than the number of days. So there'll be two candles on the first day, three on the second, etc., and each of those days, some Jewish families give gifts out each of those days. Sometimes they just give a few, just depends. But they will make homemade donuts, potato latkes, and the family gets together. 
And that's the, that's the part that I think is one of the reasons why those two holidays I mentioned, Passover, very important at the Seder for the family to get together, and Hanukkah, another family-oriented remembrance. And it's very significant that there was a victory here. And Jewish people in our history, we haven't had a lot of victories. Certainly the early part of biblical history, King David had many of them, Saul before him, but we haven't had many. And so for, for the Jewish people, when their life is on the line as a people, as Antiochus wanted to wipe them out either physically or spiritually, the Maccabee family stood up, and they're still here today, and the Seleucids are not here today. Uh, that's who Antiochus was overseeing. So, Jimmy, this, the idea of victory and the idea of seeing the Jewish people continue uh, is basically a, a foundation to the biblical promise gone all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. And as you said, Steve, because of Hanukkah, a beautiful Jewish young lady brought forth the Messiah, Jesus Christ, which is representative of that middle candle that you were talking about, the one that lights all of the other candles. I was reading some from the Gospel of John today, recognizing that in the first chapter, six times Jesus is referred to as the light of the world. Twenty-four times in the Gospel of John, he's referred to as the light. Well, I always like to be practical when we have our conversations, Steve. How can we use this special holy day for the Jewish people to communicate Jesus to our Jewish friends? Well, Jimmy, that's a, that's a really easy question. I think our listeners, your listeners, are people who love God's Word and love the Jewish people. Once you're aware that Hanukkah is an important day, it's a family time, just wishing your Jewish friend a happy Hanukkah, even buying them a small gift, depending on your friendship and how you're related to them, just recognizing to them that you know about this day and you're thankful to the Jewish people. That's one of the things a, a believer can always say to a Jewish person is that I'm so thankful for the Jewish people because one day I met a Jewish man and he changed my life and I was never the same after I met him. And many times if you use that, I borrowed that from a mutual friend of yours and mine, Elwood McQuaid, and he's used that years. And they always ask two questions. They say, wait a minute, who, who is this that you met? And what did he say? Uh, yeah. And then you get a wonderful opportunity to share your faith. It's a great oh, way to do it. It really is. And be sure to do it with love. That's the best way to communicate Jesus Christ to anybody. Steve, always a joy to be able to have our conversations on the special Jewish Holy Days. And we look forward every year to discussing Hanukkah. You've blessed us with how you relate how this particular Jewish Holy Day is key and special for the Jewish people. Thank you so much, my good friend, Chak Sameach. We'll have another conversation when there's a, another Jewish Holy Day to discuss. Thanks, Jimmy. Very informative conversation with Steve Herzig as we focused on Hanukkah, the Jewish Holy Day, the Feast of Dedication, or the Feast of Lights. Right now, we're going to change the focus to a key region of the world. That would be the European Union, where our broadcast partner who covers that, John Rood, has great knowledge of what is going on politically there. And as a prophecy teacher as well, John understands the prophetic scenario that is being played out in preparation for the end times 
to come into existence. I do believe we're in the end times, but God's program for those end times as well. John, great to have you along today. Interesting, Mike Pompeo, who is the Secretary of State, has been traveling in the Middle East. He went into the European Union. He was there at his final meeting of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and he took that opportunity to go after Turkey and tie up Erdogan. Very interesting development, wasn't it? Yes, uh, in the last NATO meeting for the U.S. Secretary of State, it's definitely a bit more tense, a bit more confrontational than normal, and calling Turkey for not necessarily complying. I think one of the most interesting things that's come out of that meeting is the Secretary General of NATO it says they'd like to move forward with to make the alliance stronger politically and create a code of conduct to bind the allies together. So it's a way of dealing with Turkey. Much to monitor there. You know, that was a very important decision that was brought to the attention of the member states of NATO. But at the same time, they talked about they must consider Chinese power as it relates to their military capabilities, that according to the foreign minister of Germany. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, Foreign Minister Heiko Maas has spoken that NATO needs to have a more sovereign Europe. So this is a reoccurring theme. There's concerns about China emerging as a global military actor and then looking for NATO to adapt to the current situation, which is the rise of China and a persistently aggressive Russia. These two major world powers need to be watched very closely. Well, as it relates to the coronavirus situation, the first batch of vaccines have arrived in the United Kingdom. That's an interesting development. The uh, Pfizer vaccine is made in Belgium, and four of the European Union countries are in the top nine countries in the world for the uh, number of coronavirus deaths. So that's United Kingdom, Italy, France, and Spain. So the first vaccines have come now into the United Kingdom to vaccinate 20 million people. And, of course, there's a list of priority who would receive that. And uh, interesting that the vaccine needs to be kept at minus 70 degrees Celsius. So that has some challenges as well. It was interesting that uh, they thought it might be America that would come forth with the first batch of the vaccines. In fact, Dr. Fauci, who is a key player in the United States as it relates to the coronavirus, he had to apologize. I've never heard him apologize before, but he had to apologize for saying that the United Kingdom rushed the vaccine. I mean, they're confirming that they're okay with that vaccine there in the U.K., are they not? Absolutely. There's three main vaccines that are out. I would refer to them as Oxford uh, Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, Dr. Fauci has a very close relationship. I believe he's one of the founders of Moderna. But there's been a delayed process for this approval. The United States is just a bit behind the United Kingdom's approval. So they're the first country in the world to approve a for distribution a coronavirus vaccine. Uh, then we have the United States will have meetings on December 10th and again on December 17th. But the European Union, they're meeting to look at the vaccine data is not till December 29th. 
They're a little bit behind. It looks like UK got a, a rush on this one, being out of the European Union with Brexit. Talk to me what the United Kingdom minister said. He mentioned that if you do not have the vaccine and uh, have that on your vaccine passport, there may be some venues that you're not going to be allowed to go into as it relates to the United Kingdom and the European Union. That could slow down travel back to the EU, could it not? Yes, the UK's vaccine minister has come out with a statement that the vaccine's not mandatory. But yet, you could be pretty much barred from most social activities, going to the movie, getting on an airplane, etc. So there's talks of of COVID passports, uh, stamping your passport. There is a test and trace app for your phone and etc. So even though they're saying it's not mandatory, it's if you don't get this proof, uh, it's possible that you will be severely limited in your possibilities and actions. You know, as I've listened to your answer to my question, John, sounds very much like the prophetic scenario there in Revelation chapter 13 in the Antichrist and the mark of the beast. Now, I'm not saying that is the case, but it seems to be setting the stage for that to happen. Would you agree? Yes, it's the type of thing where people can be accustomed to such things that government uh, approval is necessary for our personal actions. Talk to me quickly about Brexit. Looks like the prospects for breaking through between the U.K. and the European Union, they're falling apart, those talks are. Yeah, since March, it's never really come together. The U.K. left the European Union January 31st. Uh, We had a provision now that the trading rules would last until the end of the year. They want a deal. They want a deal, but, of course, they're they're not really moving the European Union. So even with no deal or with a deal, either way, there's going to be significant change because it's official after December 31st. It's always very important, I do believe, my dear friend, to have this report from John Rood because the European Union, a major player, ultimately in the end times, the EU being the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. John, thank you very much. Excellent report today. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy, and everyone stay safe. Well, I'm going to bring my namesake, Dr. Don DeYoung, to the broadcast table Don has just retired from leading the science department. He is continuing to serve the Lord. He's an astronomer, written a book on that, 100 Questions About Astronomy and How It Connects to the Bible. A great study. We have them available here at our website at the bookstore, prophecytoday.com. Don, you and I have conversations about the stars, the Uh, asteroids, the meteorites, and all the other things in the heavenlies. But I want to talk about man and man's machinery, weapons in the heavenlies, war, a possibility in space. We'll get to that in a moment. But let's just remind us for a few moments of the recent space exploration. For example, the International Space Station. All of these things are exciting. They're happening at this time in history, aren't they? Well, they are, Jimmy. Uh, We live during what they call the space age, and we're still, you know, it's still a frontier. We're on the beginning of understanding um, space all around us. There's lots of potential there, lots of challenges. 
uh, but it's very exciting. These are exciting days, but let me just remind everybody how I introduced this conversation, the possibility of war in space. President Trump has put together his U.S. Space Force, and other nations across the entire world are doing the exact same thing. And when you talk about that, Don, it brings to my mind a question of the possibility of war in space. Now, this would be a major problem if it was to take place. Do you not think this would just destroy all the scientific and technological exploration there in space if they started fighting in the area we know as space today? Well, yes, Jimmy, it would certainly change things. might remind ourselves that uh, military activity is going on in space and has been for some years. We have spy satellites. We have surveillance satellites where it would become dangerous if we would start to attack each other's satellites. And that's the main area. You know, those craft that we have orbiting the Earth are vulnerable. And if you go after those things, you could um, quickly shut down a country's economy, their whole finance system. So, um, yes, there's, there's potential for uh, great shakeups on the Earth below. And indeed, in space, it would really probably shut down much space research that's taking place, both scientifically and technologically as well. Is that probably what would happen, Don, if they did start to fight, use their weapons in space? Yes, it would certainly curtail um, communications. And satellites also, you know, are a guide to um, predicting and watching the weather. So there would be a lot of uh, outcomes to that. And again, it's not the typical Star Wars thing where you're shooting each other in space. It would mainly be um, attacking the satellites and the spacecraft that we put up there, knocking them out of commission, and then slowing things down on the Earth. What would be some of the possibilities for scientific research and technological research as well? I mean, that's an open area that uh, many scholars and the space students want to get involved in and could be very financially beneficial for the nations who do it. Would it not, not be the case? Yes, this is the kind of research that's going on in, at the uh, space station and has been for some years, Jimmy. A number of experiments and research programs growing new kinds of uh, materials, crystals and molecules, new kinds of medicines. You know, they're just Lots to be done and almost unknown some of the things that are found out, but it just gives a whole new dimension where you're in a weightless environment. Chemistry acts different, and uh, there are a lot of spinoffs. And I would suggest, Jimmy, that um, God's placed many secrets like this, both on Earth and in space, for us to find in a peaceful way and apply for our well-being. And that surely could be interrupted if indeed there were such things as wars in space. Well, however, I am now thinking about the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verses 7 to 17, where it does talk about a war in space. That's when the archangel Michael, who is the commander-in-chief of the good angels, and then Satan, who's commander-in-chief of the evil angels, they're going to have a battle, a war in space, and Satan and his evil angels will be thrown down to the earth. Talk to us about that. Well, yes, Jimmy, those kind of spiritual battles are in the future, in the end times. 
and this kind of warfare between angels, we're not sure just what kind of weaponry is involved, whether it's the kind of thing that we're familiar with or something on a whole different level. Certainly that's a time when um, the Earth and space is shaken. Now we know uh, how, how the outcome is, uh, the Lord's army wins, but uh, this, this spiritual-type battle in the heavens will certainly be a, a, a drastic time. And that time at the midway point of the seven-year tribulation period, which is quickly approaching, coming better into focus, that seven-year tribulation all the time. One of the activities you want to read about that heavenly battle, it's found in Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 17. And when these evil angels are thrown to the earth, they try to wipe out the Jewish people. Therefore, Jesus would not be able to keep and complete his promise to the Jewish people. It's all a battle during that tribulation period leading up to the return of Jesus Christ. Don, I hope and pray that we'll have more conversations this next coming year. Maybe even before Christmas, we could talk about the star of Bethlehem if we can come neck together. But it was very interesting. I think it's so much in the news about wars in space would be a good conversation. Thank you so much, my good friend. Appreciate it. Until next time, we're looking forward to being with you again. Thank you, Jimmy. Glad to join you. Great conversation with Dr. Don DeYoung. It's always a favorite time of mine to be able to talk to Don about outer space. We're going to have to take a break right now, and when we come back, one broadcast partner left to come to the broadcast table. That will be David James. We're going to be discussing should we celebrate Christmas with a Christmas tree, etc. That's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to the last half hour of the 90 minutes I requested as I have been able to give you my six broadcast partners with the information that they have given us. We can understand much better where we are in God's time. I'm going to be talking with David James in a moment. Should we celebrate Christmas? We'll get into that discussion. I want to remind you that I have a YouTube channel, and now we have on video my Prophecy Today intelligence briefings. Go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Prophecy Today. Well, here's the poll question that we have available. It's on my home page on my website, prophecytoday.com. It's on the left-hand column. Scroll down. You'll find the question. Here it is. Do you believe that the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, or known as the Feast of Lights, is a prophecy of the first coming of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, John chapter 8 and verse 12? That's the poll question. Be sure to answer the few will. And this is a wonderful time of the year to visit my Prophecy Bookstore. When you go to the Prophecy Bookstore, you'll find a great DVD documentary, Bethlehem Beyond the Christmas Story. It tells us the exact location for the birth of Jesus Christ. You need to get this DVD documentary, Bethlehem Beyond the Christmas Story. 
We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have a conversation focusing on an issue this week, the importance of light in the Word of God during this Hanukkah season. We're going to talk about Hanukkah, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, etc. That's upcoming when David and I have our conversation focused on the biblical principles of light in the Word of God. But David, before we get to our main topic, I want to briefly discuss an email that we received from a listener who was very much concerned about some things that he had heard on another radio program that conflicts with what we teach concerning the rapture relative to the last Trump. Talk to us about that. Right. Well, our listener wrote this. Could you help me with a question regarding the rapture? The Tomorrow World program says the rapture will occur at the last trumpet and not when you, meaning you, Jimmy, say, I listen to your program on BCY and want to know what to believe. I used to follow the World Tomorrow by Herbert Armstrong, but broke away because of so much confusion, and I think this program must be tied to Armstrong. So, Jimmy, this is uh, one of many groups that formed after the death of worldwide uh, Church of God founder Herbert W. Armstrong, and that church was widely considered a cult and promoted British and American Israelism, which says the ten northern tribes of Israel were scattered, making the British and Americans the Ephraim branch of Israel, which is wrong, but that's the short version. I watched the 25-minute video where they tried to disprove the rapture doctrine, and they made multiple interpretation mistakes along the way. One major blunder was identifying the woman in Revelation 12 is the church in order to say part of the church would be protected on the earth during the tribulation, whereas in John's vision, the woman is clearly the nation of Israel. And also, the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians can't be the last trumpet judgment of Revelation. There would be no comfort in that, as Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 4, where to comfort one another with his words concerning the rapture, because at the last trumpet judgment of Revelation, the word will be in horrible shape by that time. And I would say shofars, uh, which I think is probably what that trumpet sound is, the shofars are usually sounded in a series, so I think it's likely that the rapture will be announced with a series of blasts, seven perhaps, and on the last blast of that series, the rapture will take place. Great information, David. Hope our listener was able to be listening to our response to his email. David, earlier on the program today, I was speaking with Steve Herzig about Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. I thought it would be helpful for us to continue the theme of light and its importance throughout the Scriptures. So help us do that. Well, Jimmy, light is obviously a major theme throughout the Scriptures, and and that theme actually begins with light being the first part of of the physical universe that God created. In Genesis chapter 1, we read, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And this thread, this theme, runs throughout Scriptures, and uh, we find in the very last verses of the Bible, 
Bible in Revelation 22 concerning the New Jerusalem. It says, There will be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light. They shall reign forever and ever. And this same Apostle John, who penned those words, wrote in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And then John goes on to discuss this in terms of our own personal relationship with Jesus when he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So, Jimmy, this contrast between light and dark, between good and evil, is found throughout the Scriptures. And this is especially important as we think of the Christmas season and Hanukkah, as we understand that Jesus came into the world and he is spoken of as the light of the world. Well, let's start right there with the incarnation and how he is the light of the world. Talk to us about that. Well, I've been teaching Christology in our adult Sunday school class at church, and as a memory passage, we are using the first verses of John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, which are very well known, and it's a great passage to remember at Christmas since they speak directly to the incarnation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and with Him nothing was made that was was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Then John goes on to speak of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of the Messiah, when he says that John the Baptist came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. So we find that this same Jesus who created light on the first day in Genesis 1 manifests himself as light. And so we could biblically say that even light itself is a testimony and witness to, to the Son. David, as we think about the themes of light and darkness in the Word of God, those are huge contrasting ideas. What can we learn from these concepts in the Scriptures? Well, the light and dark is often used to depict the difference between God's kingdom and the kingdom of Satan. In one of the greatest messianic passages in the Old Testament, we read this in Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish Establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And earlier in that same chapter, in speaking of the Gentiles, Isaiah gave great hope to the world when he said this, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her. 
by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And Paul even spoke of himself as being part of the fulfillment of that prophecy when he gave testimony of his conversion uh, before King Agrippa in Acts 26, when he said that Jesus had told him, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And of course, Jimmy, darkness is also spoken of in connection with judgment against evil throughout Scripture. So the contrast is very symbolic and very important. Yes, it certainly is. And what you've just given us is evidence that there are many passages that use this contrast between light and darkness as an illustration of the differences between the way believers and unbelievers should actually live. Talk to us about that. Well, that's absolutely right, Jimmy. In Romans 13, Paul uses this contrast as we think about living in light of Jesus' return, where he says, Now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul says that we're to be imitators of God as dear children and to walk in love. And after that, he talks about various kinds of sins and lifestyles that we're to avoid and concludes by saying, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And also in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul uses this contrast to talk about our relationships with others, where he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship is righteousness with lawlessness? what communion has light with darkness. And then going back to Ephesians, in chapter 6, Paul reminds us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And then Paul encourages believers in Colossae with these words, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. And of course, uh, Jimmy, this is why Jesus came into the world, and it's why we celebrate His coming with lights and why it's a part of the Christmas season, I believe. Yeah, we are in the Christmas season. Thanksgiving's over. We're focused now on that special day when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. But one of the controversies that comes up every year is the objection some believers have to various connections with pagan practices. For example, Christmas trees and lights on the Christmas trees and so on. What are your thoughts, David, on this particular issue? Well, it is controversial, and Jimmy, I've given this uh, quite a bit of thought over the years, and I do understand the concerns, but I personally love the Christmas season, including all the lights and the Christmas trees and the various decorations. I'm not a big fan of Santa Claus, and we never raised our kids to believe he brought gifts on Christmas Eve uh, as we tried to keep the focus on Jesus coming into the world as the Savior. 
But concerning the various connections to paganism, when, when people put up a Christmas tree today, no one does it for the purpose of creating an idol or worshiping false gods or nature. Any connection to paganism really has been completely lost in today's world, especially for believers. And for Christians, these are just used as reminders and celebrations of God's gift of His Son to the world, and that's the meaning they have today. And, and the meaning that something has for anyone is what it means to them at the time. So, for example, our modern word, goodbye, comes from the old English phrase, uh, God be with you. But an atheist isn't proclaiming his belief in God when he uses it, because that's not what it means to him. And for another example, Protestants don't avoid saying Merry Christmas, because Christmas originally referred to Roman Catholic worship services. That's not what it means to us. And Jesus told the Jews that they were to be a light in the world, and as Christians, we are to be light in a dark and fallen world as we point to the one who is the light of the world. And I think that even our Christmas lights can be a testimony of that. You know, David, I believe the bottom line is Jesus is the reason for this season. And if we keep that, that will give us an opportunity to honor him and the birth, the God-man individual who came on this earth to give us all salvation. He indeed is the light of the world. David, thank you for thinking through this with us today and your research on it. Next week we'll have another issue, so better start preparing for that, and we'll have that next conversation right here on Prophecy Today. Thank you, my good buddy. Thanks, Jimmy. I'll look forward to next week. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll open up the Bible. We're going to take all the reports given to us by our broadcast partners And we're going to go into the prophetic scenario found in God's Word and give you a prophetic perspective on each of these reports. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. I want to remind you that I have a five-hour audio series, which is on CD, entitled The Feast of God. We look at the seven Jewish feasts given the Jewish people by God in the book of Leviticus chapter 23. This is a very important study because when you look at these seven feasts, you can see Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the first four feasts, the spring feast, and will fulfill the fall feast as well. This is a study that will assist you in understanding why the Jewish people are celebrating on an annual basis these Jewish feasts. Go to my Prophecy Bookstore. It's located on my website, prophecytoday.com, and there make your purchase of The Feast of God. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. 
If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, a chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end times prophecy book that God has preserved in his scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, I was so excited being able to hear the reports from our broadcast partners located around the world. These reports with the details and insight from each of my broadcast partners help us to better understand how current events are actually setting the stage for the prophetic scenario that is found in the Bible to be fulfilled. If you missed any of these reports, by the way, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, where we have archived the reports given to us today. This will allow you to go to that site and hear any of these reports that you might have missed or be able to re-listen to the reports that you want a better understanding of. Please tell a family member or a friend about these reports. That's prophecytoday.com, P-T-R-N, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Right now, though, I would like to take a moment to give you my prophetic perspective on these reports that we heard today. Ken Timmerman is the man who covers geopolitical events happening around the world for us, and today Ken was talking about the threat that China is today. You know, we see China, or should I say communist China, as a superpower today. However, China is going to be a major player during the tribulation period. That's the book of Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12. China at that time in history near the end of the tribulation period will partner with the Antichrist in the last days in an effort to destroy the Jewish state at the second coming of Jesus Christ. I exhort you to keep an eye on China today as we think of what China will do in the future. David Dolan gave us his Middle East News update. This is an essential report from David, helping us who are students of Bible prophecy to understand this key region of the world. David talked to us about the possible strike from Iran on Israel in retaliation for the assassination of Iran's number one nuclear scientist. By the way, Israel has not confirmed that they were the ones responsible. However, it looks like that was the case. I want to remind you that the conflict between Israel and Iran will happen during this time and will continue and ultimately conclude when the alignment of Islamic nations tried to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. That's found in Ezekiel chapter 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 to 45. 
Let me also mention that Jeremiah chapter 49 deals with Iran and Israel for the last days as well. Our good friend and broadcast partner Steve Herzig came to the broadcast table. Steve is the National Director of Friends of Israel, and he came, as he does on these Jewish holidays, to tell us the story, this time the story of Hanukkah. That story of Hanukkah actually was a prophecy foretold in Daniel chapter 11, verses 30 to 35. I would suggest you read that passage of prophecy. This is the prophecy that causes the Jews today to celebrate Hanukkah because we see the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy some 2,500 years ago. By the way, this passage of Scripture also talks about prophecy yet to be fulfilled. For example, the abomination of desolation as spoken of by Jesus, Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. John Rood covers the European Union, a key piece of real estate that will play a major role in the end times. You remember, of course, that NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, is the military operation for the European Union as of today. Now, the European Union would like to have their own military, but right now it is NATO. An interesting statement coming from NATO this week. They are warning about China's military power. Just talked about the report from Ken Timmerman. Uh, Let me just remind you again that China is a major threat today and into the future, Revelation 16, 12. Today we can see how this China threat is coming better into focus. We must keep an eye on this military power who will have the key role in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. I always enjoy having a conversation with Dr. Don DeYoung. Our focus this time was on war in space. I love the passage in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Much space exploration has been taking place lately, and that scientific research only enhances that display of the Lord's glory. We don't want that display to be destroyed, the warning from Dr. Don DeYoung. He did mention there will be a war in the heavenlies in the last days. That's Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 17, the war between the good angels and the evil angels. Well, David James and I have a discussion each and every week, and this time we focused on the celebration of Christmas. You know, I believe each and every one of you need to live by your convictions, However, I look at Christmas, for example, with the Christmas tree as representing the tree that Jesus Christ would be crucified on. When I look at the lights, I remember that Jesus is indeed the light of the world. That's what he said in John chapter 8 and verse 12. David's report of celebrating the first coming of Jesus Christ, the God-man, you see, if he came the first time, he must, as he promised, come again. Jesus said the rapture will take place, referring to it in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Dear friend, we can expect that rapture to happen because Jesus said it would happen. 
especially in light of what our broadcast partners told us today. That rapture could happen even today or at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.